Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys here today. If you're watching online or at Bearden or here with me today, I'm glad that you are. If you've got a Bible, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where we're going to be at today. I grew up in a traditional Baptist church. And so uh, how many of you guys, maybe it wasn't Baptist, but would say that you, were, you, you spent some time in a traditional church when, when you were a kid or at least at some point? Okay, good. So we've got several people that are going to relate to this. So for me, when you went to a traditional Baptist church, there were several traditions that you just didn't understand and things that happened that you just did. And then years back, you, you know, years uh, go forward and then you look back and you're like, why do we do that? That's just kind of weird. And, and several things come to my mind when I think about that. But one of the things that always stands out to me the most is just the music that we chose to sing. Um, every song that we sang had to come out of the hymn book, right? You cannot veer from the hymn book because, well, we don't know why. You just don't do that. And it was always turn to page number 321 or whatever it was. And, and then you'd start singing the song that you've sung a million times. But then the choir director would start waving his hands around, you know. Oh, that's what I remember as a kid. Like, is he waving at me? I'm like, hey, you know, what is... What is the waving of the hands and why are we doing that? We've sang just as I am 3,000 times. We don't need your help. <laughs> uh, lots of things come to mind. Like uh, we always had to dress up, right? And so as a kid, that's the worst, right? You have to dress up for church because you have to give God your best. And so you had to dress up. And, and uh, I think back now that I'm a parent, and, you know, kind of going through the little kid phase, it's like, why did we do that to ourselves? Like every morning uh, is like World War III, um, trying to get our kids dressed, period, let alone in something nice, you know, to be able to go to church. And the reason why I think we do it is so that, you know, people see our kids and they think we're not insane. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, didn't he just lose his job? I don't know. Look at this kid's outfit. I think they got it together, you know. It's like we think how we look really sets the stage for we're, we're doing okay. And that's why we say when people say, how you doing? You don't say great. You say, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not great, not terrible. I'm okay. Just look at my kids. They all have clothes on and it matches, right? And, and we kind of grow up in these traditions and we begin to do them and then we forget why we do them. And, and then it just becomes something that we do. And sometimes these traditions, we feel like make us holier or or we, we do them because we think God approves of them or likes them. And, and we could talk about a million different other traditions. But in our text today, we're going to see that there were some traditions or some customs that were taking place in the culture there in the city of Corinth. And, and, and Paul begins to give a little instruction and he tells us the traditions that, or at least one tradition, that really does matter to God. Uh, the reality is church traditions, though, can create a lot of mess uh, for those of us who are trying to connect to God. Traditions can kind of get in the way, can cause uh, divisions and cause fighting in a church that, that are really nonsense. And, and it can prevent us from actually worshiping, connecting to God. We see it and have seen it all throughout the history of the church. And so in this series that we're calling Messy, we want to recognize that sometimes traditions are messy. And so Paul gives us some instruction today. And I think we all kind of get this. I mean, we would all recognize that traditions become a bad thing when they become an idol. 
And the way that you know that a tradition, not necessarily, it's not a commandment in the Bible, it's, it's a man-made tradition in the church or in Christian culture, you know it's an idol when you suggest changing it. <laughs> if you've ever been in a traditional church and you've suggested a change from an, a, a tradition that is an idol, you might have got smacked in the face, <laughs> Right? And, and, and that kind of begins to happen in, in life. And we have to be very cautious that we don't want a tradition to become an idol. And if it has become an idol, we want to smash that idol because we want to ask the question, what's the Bible say about that? In fact, a lot of your problems and a lot of your issues could be solved just by asking that simple question. You know, what, is the, what does the Bible say about that? Well, how's the Bible like, you know, guard our wisdom and, and guide our wisdom and, and help us come to a decision on how we should handle this situation. What, what's the Bible say? And, and so often that's like never a question we ask or it, it, it's a question we ask after we have tried, you know, four or five or six other different things that haven't worked. And then we finally maybe come to that question. And I think that's an important question, especially as it relates to traditions. Um, I think there are some great traditions, not all traditions are bad, right? We've got some good traditions here at FC and, and uh, so those are some good things that happen but at, at the same time, we wanna understand what are the traditions or really the commands that God calls us to participate in or to do as a church. And so we're gonna see what tradition actually matters to God today. And uh, we're gonna start in chapter 11, beginning in verse two, here we go. Paul says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything, right? And maintain, here's an important word, you maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, so he starts here by commending them for following the local customs, the local traditions in their city. And then he goes into like this statement that seems out of place. Right? It kind of seems out of place after saying this, but what, he is, what he's saying is he's giving us a, a theological point that connects, that I'm going to help try to connect here. And it really begins with this idea of there is a difference between a man and a woman. And so in verse 3, he's showing them that there's purpose behind the design between the two sexes. The Bible continually, over and over again, affirms that there are two sexes, man and woman. And he gives us this basic understanding all throughout the scripture. And so here's just like another nugget that teaches us why this is important. And he says very clearly, he's, he's, he's connecting this idea that the head of a man is Christ, the head of a woman is, is her husband. And so what does that really mean? Why is he actually saying it in this particular point? And, and I think the idea is when you do not submit to God's design and gender, there will be confusion. There will be chaos. And I think we live in a culture where, you know, especially right now, uh, people are confused about their gender. And... We don't want to seek the wisdom of man. We want to seek the wisdom of God. We want to embrace who God created you to be. 
whether it was a man or whether it was a woman, we embrace that purpose. We embrace our biblical sexuality as a gift from God. We don't run from it. We're not confused by it. And as Christians, it's important for us to affirm this basic biblical truth. Gender is not a social construct. It's not a socially like idea that people came up with. And, and we're really confused about that right now. At least some are. And, and, and I think it's important for us as Christians to realize that, yes, our culture and yes, our traditions have created some norms for men and some norms for women. And, and those are some traditions that aren't necessarily what God says. They just kind of, uh, kind of began to happen, right, for thousands of different reasons. But you might say, okay, well, I think women should be the primary cooks in the house, right? Well, why would you say that? Well, maybe based on a traditional kind of upbringing that, that you had, doesn't say that in the Bible. And so I think a lot of times our culture pushes back on these social traditions as if that's, you know, an evil, bad thing or whatever. And it's like, that's not a, it's not a biblical thing. And, and so we often have to, as Christians, even understand, okay, here's what man-made tradition and culture says, but this is what God's word says. And we're able to have wisdom in looking at both of them. That's really what this passage really starts with and, and begins to help us with. It's, a, it's important, I think. What, what the Bible teaches here is that, yeah, two genders, and that specifically that men, husbands, are actually the spiritual leaders of their family. And so Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of his wife. The, that means spiritually he's called, he's the, he has the primary responsibility to lead his wife, to lead his family. God created man and woman in his image, completely equal, in essence, in being. Neither one is better than the other in any way, equal in every way, but given a different role in the family, given a different role even in the church. And so what's helpful for us, I think, is even to look at the nature of God. So the nature of God is that we believe in the Trinity. And so the Bible never uses the word Trinity, but it teaches us this, this concept that God is one God, but he uh, is in three persons. And so he, he demonstrates and reveals himself in these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within the Trinity, we see that there is submission between the Godhead, which is fascinating that God the Son would, would submit to God the Father and, and, and God the Holy Spirit submits to God the Son. And there's this vice versa kind of submission happening in the Godhead. Why? equal in essence in being in every way, and yet they, they have a different role and they have a different function in the world. And so in the same way, men and women being equal in all ways, essence, being, but roles in the world are different, unique roles. And so in Ephesians 5, when Paul talks about submission, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Right? And people get all upset about that, but then they forget the next phrase where he says, husbands, you must love your wife in such a way that you would sacrificially love her just as Jesus loves his church. It's like, oh, wow. That's a love that many of us haven't even considered, a sacrificial love that would lay down our life, that would submit in, in, in every way what we want to what she desires or wants. And I think what's interesting about that passage is that it actually starts with this verse that says, you are to mutually submit to one another. And so 
I submit to my wife and she submits to me and we're in this submissive kind of mutual relationship where, where I have been given the mantle from God to lead my family, but that doesn't mean I demean or I dominate. It means that I sacrifice and it means that I am willing to submit to her needs as she will be willing to submit to me in this give and take relationship that is, that is a beautiful, beautiful network of relationships when we follow God's word. I'm called as a husband to help my wife become the woman that God created her to be. I'm called to cultivate relationships just like Adam in the garden is cultivating this garden and creating this garden. Right? We as men are called to create and cultivate our, our, our areas of expertise in, in work. We're, we're called to create things. And, and yeah, that's why we have hobbies and you like to go in your, you know, your, your little garage or whatever your network is that you go out and work on stuff. Why? Part of who you are is that God wants you to create. And so you're creating businesses and you're creating deals and you're creating you know, a, a wealth and all of these things. And at the same time, you're cultivating relationships for your wife and your kids. You're putting them in the right situations and, and doing your best to help that network of friendships to grow that are, that are healthy and, and godly and good. And you see, this is as men what we're called to be. And Paul makes this clear. And it might just be one verse, but it's so rich and such a valuable, important piece of what it means to be a man of God, a, a woman of God. And so he commends them for this tradition, right? And then he, he gives them this theological premise, and we're going to see why as we keep going here. The next verse, verse 4, he says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Hang with me, all right? We're going to make it through these verses, and it's going to make sense in just a minute, right? Verse 5, But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image of glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. <laughs> on first read, you might be scratching your head on that one. Like what is he talking about? And I think the reason why he starts by saying Christ is the head Right, and he and he talks about uh, gender uh, roles in 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 the world and in our our family is because one of the issues the church uh, was going through was this idea of submitting to their culture and 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 submitting to God, and so there was a correlation that was taking place here. Uh, some men in the church were wearing a head covering, some men in the church were growing their hair long, some women in the church uh, weren't wearing a head covering. And then there were other women in the church who were wearing their hair on their shoulders, which in their day meant something. To us, we're like, what? But to them, it, it, it said a lot about who they were submitting their life to, who their authority really was. Because if you were a woman and you wore your hair down, that meant that you were available <laughs> sexually. So if you're married to you know, a man and you're wearing your hair down, people in the community are going to be scratching their heads. Now, obviously for us, it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. But this is a tradition in their culture. If a woman didn't wear a head covering, 
it meant that she wasn't willing to submit to her God. If a man wore long hair, it meant that he wasn't submitting to his God. Why? I don't know. Stupid traditions, right? We have a lot of them ourselves. But in this case, this was one of those things where Paul is addressing and he's saying, look, many of you are following these traditions because you know you have complete freedom in Christ. Like, it doesn't matter if you wear a head covering or if you cut your hair or you have long hair. That doesn't matter. It's not going to depend on if you're going to heaven or not. But I commend you, Paul says, because, because you are following these traditions and you're doing that not, not because it makes you holy or it makes you good. You're doing it because you know that how you're viewed in the community is, is, is important, right? And so that's really the whole concept. This, this idea of not following, and this is what was happening. Some people were not, uh, uh, they, they were not following these traditions because they, were, they, they really had a heart issue where they were actually not submitting to God. Right? So in that culture, the tradition was women wear the head covering, right? Men don't. And so that's the issue. When we were in Israel several years ago, um, my wife and I were going into the synagogue and, and we were going in with this group and, and they said, uh, uh, hey, all, all women that come in here, we ask you to, to wear this, this head covering, this veil. And, and so, you know, this big thing. And they had plenty. They had this basket. And this was before COVID. So nobody, <coughs> nobody was worried. And so, you know, she had to put this thing over her. You know, she looked like, you know, a old Baptist church Mary, uh, you know, in Christmas and, and had the deal on. And it was funny. We got some funny pictures. But she could have said, no, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. That's your tradition, not my tradition. I'm out. But she does it. Why? Because it's a custom. It's a custom. It's not a big deal. It's not saying that I worship your God or I'm not honoring my God. It's, it's, it's what they do. And for these 10 minutes, it's not a big deal, right? And so in, in the same way, this is kind of what the people are doing in their community, but some were not. And because of that, there, were, there, were, there was arguing and there was divisions. Now, here's the applicable point for us today, all right? So let me give you Everybody draw back in, right? Head covering, shaving, all that kind of stuff. Let's get back. What's it mean for us today? And the point I think for us today is that self-expression had become an idol in the church. I don't want to wear a head covering. Some dudes in the church, I'm going to grow my hair out long. (laughs) I don't care what people think or what people say, I'm going to do this. And self-expression had become this idol in the church. And, and so listen, this is the issue I think that we even are kind of experiencing in our culture. Like we're in a culture that's like, oh, I got to self-express. I got to be me and I got to be different. I got to have my hair like this and I got to put this on. I got to wear this. And it's like, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares what you wear. I don't care what you wear to church. I don't care what you look like. It doesn't really matter. People think, oh, well, we're, we're sticking it to the man. Well, I'm telling you, we all have our own problems, right? We don't give a rip if you got new eyelashes or you're wearing weird colors. We don't care. So wear whatever you want to wear. Just please cover up your body parts, right? But self-expression has a way of dominating people. And I've got to have this brand, And I've got to have this kind of bag and I've got to have this kind of car and I've got to express myself. Nobody cares. It's all stupid. And so what I think is even the, 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 the sinful part of it 
is when we uh, allow our expression of ourself to become more important than building up the church and loving our neighbor. And so if we've done that, then we've forgotten what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Right? So I might say it like this. Self-expression should never trump gospel expression. Self-expression should never get in the way of us being able to share the gospel. Now, there are going to be natural things that come up. People, you're going to do things that, that people don't like and, and they're going to hate us. Jesus said they're going to hate us for, for our belief systems and our decision, decisions and choices. But, you know, as far as we're concerned, like we're not going to wear something or, 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 or you know, you know, physically dress up in a way that's going to prevent ourselves from actually sharing the gospel. That's the point. You know, if, if, if wearing long hair affected how I, you know, was preaching, then I would keep it short or vice versa, right? And I think all of us hopefully would think through it in that lens and have wisdom, right? So we wear based on what, you know, our culture is. Just because culture says this is a set way to dress doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. So we don't just need to mark it off. But at the same time, we don't want to actually look like the culture either, do we? Because just because culture is wearing thongs to the beach doesn't mean Christians should. I'm just, just, I'm just asking, right? And so what, what do we do? Well, we have wisdom. We have wisdom on these decisions. They're gray areas. There's not like a list of rules where you should wear this and you should wear this. And if you don't wear this and, you know, Sometimes traditional churches might get into the box checking and you got to wear the suit and you got to have the tie and you got to have the dress and it has to be this long or that long or whatever, whatever, you, you know, you got to wear. The, like, it's like that's silliness. You know, buy what you want to buy, no matter what brand it is, spend what you want to spend. Here, here's the reality. Have wisdom on what you wear to church. That's basically, I think, the point. Have wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? We don't just get wisdom by coming up with our own ideas. We get wisdom by being involved in a local church where we're in relationships with small group leaders and other Christians who can help uh, expose blind spots and help us grow and help us understand more and help us think through. And we're submitting to pastors and all of these other leaders in our life. Why? Because we together need each other to grow in this area. If we're like on an island and we're just doing what we want to do, and we're not listening to anybody in the church, there's an issue, there's a problem. We have to have wisdom in how we dress and how we present ourselves. And we also have to realize the balance between traditions that don't matter and what God's word actually says. So he commends them for a good job with these traditions. So what? Here's what the point is next though. He gets into it in verse 17. He says, but the following instructions I do not commend you. In other words, you're getting this one really wrong. This is the tradition that actually matters to God. He says, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. <laughs> when you come to church, it actually makes things worse for you and the church. That's a hard statement. Don't blow by that, blow by that one. Verse 18, <clears throat> for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? <laughs> I can imagine him saying that. What are you thinking? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? 
What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So what is happening here? Well, they're worshiping in the wrong way. You you realize that, right? There's a right way to worship. There's a wrong way to worship, right? God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so just, you know, just by being here doesn't mean that you're worshiping God, right? Just because you say, oh yeah, I I think about God or I love God doesn't necessarily mean that's an act of worship. There's a difference and I think this is the point. There were wealthy people who were coming to the church. They were bringing food. They were sharing their food with their other rich friends. They were getting their fill. They were indulging in all of the food. They're stuffed, filling their plates. Meanwhile, other people were going hungry. They didn't get fed. You know, they were drinking all the wine for the Lord's Supper and they were drinking too much of it, getting drunk. And so this was an indulging, very selfish act. In verse 17, that's why he says, when you come together, it is not for good. It is for worse because you are bringing fake worship into the house of God. You are faking your worship. You look the part, right? You got, some of you got the head covering and you got the right length of hair, but you are bringing a fake worship to church. Verse 18, division surface when you show up. Right? If you show up and then people start breaking into cliques and there's divisions and there's gossip, that's an issue in the church. He says, as soon as they come together, they're, they're kind of going in their little pockets and their little groups and they're not interacting with those who may not have as much money. Maybe the social classes are, are kind of you know, pairing off and, and so there's not interaction there. There's not real fellowship between the people. The needs are neglected so the poor people are getting fed. They're selfishly eating all the food. They're indulging. Church had just become a social gathering. That'll preach. We just come to church to talk to friends, to hang out, feel good about ourselves, hopefully get something that makes me feel good. Social gatherings. Church had become who's going to see me and what am I going to get out of it? And unfortunately, I think in, in, in the American church, that's happening all over the country, right? Your body is here, but your mind is somewhere else. Your, your body is here, but your heart is, is somewhere else. We're, we're neglecting the poor because we don't give any of our resources to the church. We're eating up all the knowledge that is preached, but we're not actually applying any of it to our lives. For some, church is just about gaining knowledge. Teach me something that I haven't heard yet or that I don't know yet. But here's the thing. I believe that we are far educated beyond our obedience. And by that, I mean, you know so much already. You just need to start obeying what you already know. And Paul is saying you gathered to worship Jesus, but you didn't. Ouch. You gathered to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You gathered to celebrate communion. You gathered to remember the cross. You gathered to share the gospel. You gathered to serve each other. You gathered to give of your resources together to accomplish a bigger vision and mission in the world. But you didn't. You failed. You came simply to indulge in your own selfish needs and desires. And all you thought about was yourself. See, the purpose of church is to express our love to God. That is our worship to God. We do that by giving and singing and praying. And honestly, it doesn't really matter how it makes us feel. 
Sometimes serving doesn't make us feel great. That doesn't mean it's not an act of worship. Right? Our churches today sometimes are all about feelings. Let's create a feeling. Let me get a feeling. I want to feel good. I want the music to make me feel good. I want the message to make me feel good. I need self-confidence. Give me a message that helps me feel good about myself. But that's, that's not really what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that there is a holy God and there is a righteous judgment, a final judgment. And he is calling us to be in a relationship with him, to worship him. Why? So that we would find life everlasting, but then also find life to the fullest, the the, the abundant life that Jesus promises us. And it's not given to us based on what the world tells us or, or how the world tells us we can get it. Based on a love for him and a relationship with him, this is a church that is thoughtless, that is careless, and that is deceived. They thought they were worshiping Jesus correctly, but they were not. So we have to ask ourselves the question, did you really come today to worship Jesus? If, if, if Jesus is sitting right next to you today and leans over and says, hey, scale of one to 10, how do you feel like you're, you're, you're really worshiping me today? <laughs> how would you rate yourself? Now, where are your thoughts? Where is your heart? What are you thinking about? Why are you here? Well, I'm here because I didn't want my wife to give me the guilt trip all week. I'm here because my parents made me come. Well, listen, that's your decision, right? But here's what we also have to realize. When there is fake worship, there are consequences that ensue. You might fake me out. You might fake your kids and your wife out. But you are not faking God out. You might look the part. You might have the right hair and the right whatever. But at the end of the day, if your worship is fake, there is and will be discipline and consequences. And this is what Scripture teaches us next. Verse 27. If you're worshiping Jesus through communion in the wrong way, in a selfish way, then he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. This isn't a popular verse, (laughs) but the realization here is that God disciplines his children, just like a good mom and dad will discipline their children. We discipline our children to prevent them from being idiots and making future mistakes. God disciplines you in much the same way. It is his grace in your life to keep you from hurting yourself and from ultimately facing the final judgment causing you to go to hell. He wants you in heaven. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants your future not only to be secure, but he wants you to be a blessing in the community. He wants you to be blessed. I believe that. But when we are worshiping in the wrong way, he says that the discipline that comes is some of you are weak. Some of you are ill. Some have even died over this issue. Now, if you're sick, if you're ill, if someone has passed away, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's God's discipline in your life, but it can be. 
And so the point, though, in any of those situations is there's not a need to kind of sit back and say, oh, man, is God doing this because, you know, I, I took communion wrong last week? Or is God doing this because I whatever? That's not the point. The point is this. If you examine yourself and you see that there is sin, if you see that your worship is selfish, then the, the right thing to do is to confess that to God, to repent, to turn from that. And then to move in the direction that he's calling you to move in obedience today. That's it. You don't have to know why. We always want to know why. We don't have to know the whys of, of, the, of the ill or, or, or weak or whatever. We just say, you know what? Whatever I know today, I'm going to confess, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to go towards God. That's exactly what God would desire and want from you today. That is, that is the point of even communion, is restoring that relationship with God. And then finally, he closes with the right way to worship with communion. Verse 23, for I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the right way is to examine our heart. The right way is to come into this place when we say, okay, this, this is the moment that we, that we will take the, the Lord's Supper together, that, that we will restore our communion with God. And so how do we do it? And he says, I want you to remember me. Remember the sacrifice. I want you to examine yourself. Where is your worship? What sin has crept into your life? What idols have been created that you need to smash? Maybe it's an idol you thought you smashed last year or last week, but it grew back. He says, smash it. Examine yourself. And then he says, proclaim the gospel, which is amazing. Remember what Jesus did. Examine yourself. Proclaim the gospel. How how do we proclaim the gospel with communion? Well, we're basically remembering what the gospel is. And when we take it, we're showing each other and really essentially the world what we believe and who he is. He is our Savior. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, this perfect Savior, comes into the world, never sins shows us what it looks like to have a relationship with God, shows us how to live our life, shows us how to live abundantly, shows us what it means to to, to have purpose in life, to love others and to love God. And, And then the ultimate sacrifice, he goes to the cross for you. He is suffering and he is dying on a cross, not just to give you an example of what a good person looks like. He is taking your place and my place. We deserved that death. We deserved punishment. But in God's way, he is, he is not looking at the, the, my sin any longer. When I put my faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is declaring me righteous. He is seeing Jesus and his righteousness in me simply because he saved me based on faith alone, nothing else, not how I dress or what my hair looks like or You know, if I've got tattoos or if I go to this church or that church, if I sing from a hymn book or I do this or a million other traditions that God says, I don't care. What I care about is right here. 
I care about your heart. Where is your heart? Stop arguing and fighting over stupid traditions that culture creates. It's pointless. In the church, we bring our heart before God. We remember his sacrifice. We, we remember the cross. We examine our heart. We proclaim the gospel. And that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. That's what communion is all about. And so if you haven't given your life to Christ, you can't remember anything because it hadn't, hadn't changed you. So, so first and foremost, have you given your life to Jesus? Has he saved you? Before you take communion, that's the first step. And then as believers, we come, we come into this moment as a, as a holy moment, as a tradition that actually does matter to God and commanded by God. It is a serious deal with serious consequences. And it requires our mind, our heart, our body, our attention to be present right here, right now, phones down, not thinking about anything else, but remembering the cross. And we're saying things like, oh my gosh, God saved me. Jesus died for me. I was worthless. I wasn't worth it. Why did he choose me? I don't understand it, but this love is amazing. And now I just want to abandon everything and I want to follow you, Jesus. And I want to, I want to give my heart to you. And, and I examine my heart and I say, God, what are the sins in my life that have come into the, to, to, to my life that's preventing my growth or preventing my relationship with you and, and all of a sudden things will pop into my mind. I'm like, oh gosh, yes, that's a bad one. Oh, I can't believe that. God, forgive me for that. God, I am an idiot. Help me overcome this. I put you first. I want you first. And in this moment, it is an act of, of worship like no other. Like no other. Because again, it's not about the appearance about the heart. And so everyone, when you walked in, you should have received the communion cup. If you didn't, if you just lift up your hands, our section leaders will come by and, and hook you up. <clears throat> what I want to do is just give you guys the opportunity to do exactly what I just said that we would remember the cross, we would examine our hearts, we would proclaim the gospel as we take communion. And we're going to do this after I pray. You're going to do this on your own. So it might take, we're, they're going to sing a song. You're, you're just sit and listen to the song. But during the song, this is just worship for you. This is prayer time for you. This is a moment for you to connect with God. This is a moment for you to take however long you need to examine, to remember and then you take the bread, you take the juice as an act of worship, remembering Jesus, who he is and what he's done in your life. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.